And there you go. And there you go. We are set to go. It's uh, three minutes after one on a uh, lovely Saturday. Kind of John Scholes here hosting and James Fireman back by popular demand. A little bit of vacation time and he's set to roll once again. Going to fill your mind with all the knowledge you need to know dealing with that long-term disability insurer. That can be a minefield. You do not want to go it alone. And James and his team at the firm are always ready to help you. Stand fear to mark an LLP. Reach out anytime. 1-855-821-5900 to reach James and his crew emails simply help at disabilityrights.ca. But here and now, you always have the opportunity to call into the radio station. we got lots of open lines. we got tons of time, and that's 416-872-1010 if you prefer texting, if it's easier for you. Uh, that is 71010. Again, the text line is 71010. If we get some of those throughout the day, we will. And of course, your emails are piling up, so that's the mainstay of the show. But uh, James, good to, good to see you again, brother, at least here. What's, uh, what's going on in your corner of the world? Well, I thought it might be a good opportunity today to talk about returning to work, ah. which is a very broad topic and something that is of interest to virtually anybody who is dealing with disability insurance. And there are a few different ways I want to talk about it. So the first way that I think this comes up is when somebody is contemplating bringing a claim because they've been denied or cut off their disability insurance, and they're concerned that if they call a lawyer and they start a lawsuit, hmm. that doing that is going to prevent them from being able to return to work if they get better. And it is almost a universal truth that the people who call me genuinely do not want to be off work. I know there's a perception out there that everybody who uses the legal system is somehow malingering or trying to game the system. That has not been my experience at all. And you may think that's self-serving, but every single person I talk to says to me, but what happens if I get better and I'm able to go to work? And the reason people bring that up is really straightforward. Disability insurance policies don't pay 100% of your income. I've never seen one that does. Typically, they pay something like two-thirds. And so people don't want to stay on disability insurance. Even if they might be inclined to not go to work, they can't afford to do it. So everybody that contacts me wants to be able to go back to work if they get better. And I can tell you straight up that every single one of my clients knows this. If we start a claim and you get better, then you can go back to work. It is obviously much better for people to be able to go back to work if they're able to earn 100% of their income than to try and continue with the claim when they're already better and try and recover two-thirds of your income and then have to pay legal fees out of that. That is a no-brainer, and that's well understood, and it is something I make clear to every single person that contacts me. If we start the legal claim, but you get better and you're able to go back to work, you don't need my permission to do it. The only person you need to talk to is your doctor or perhaps your medical team to make sure that medically speaking, it makes sense for you to go back to work. But as long as they're on board, you certainly can go back to work. It's nothing I would ever get in the way of. And if you are able to go back to work, it wouldn't mean that you don't have a claim. What it would mean is that your claim would now be more modest. Obviously, we're not going to be looking to get benefits from beyond the date that you've returned to work. That would make any sense, of course. Right. But you would still have a claim 
from the date your benefits were cut off or when, when they were denied and should have been paid up until the date you went back to work. Yes, it's more modest, but typically that can be resolved pretty quickly if you're already back at work. And now we're talking about a finite claim for a set period of time. So that is one way in which people are concerned about returning to work. And I can assure you that wanting to be able to go back to work isn't a problem. And if you are better, if you do improve and you're able to go back to work, having started a claim will not be a barrier for you to be able to do that. There's another way, though, that returning to work does come up. And this is for people who have actually done it, who've actually tried to go to work. And I have an interesting case coming up next week. And in this particular instance, my client had a disability that required her to be able to sit down because she would have these attacks, these acute attacks that would cause her to pass out sometimes or get oh, wow. dizzy. And she was a, a technician at a clinic and she had to draw blood. And obviously that's not something you're going to be able to do if you're passing out in unpredictable circumstances. And so she went off work and she really wanted to get back. And so she pushed quite hard in order for her insurer and employer to allow her to go back. And eventually they agreed. They allowed her to go back on modified duties where she wasn't dealing with patients anymore. She was just doing administrative work. Sure. But she wasn't able to even do that. Or at least she was, but on a very limited basis. She was doing it about 12 hours a week, three, four hours a day, three days a week with a day off in between. And even that took everything out of her because she had extreme fatigue on top of everything else. And she was never able to get beyond the 12 hours a week, despite wanting to. In fact, she wasn't even able to really keep up with that. And again, this wasn't even her regular job. This was an accommodated position, modified so that she would be able to just go in and do something that was somewhat productive. It was well below the, the duties and responsibilities that she had had in her job before, but she really wanted to try. And she did. And she persevered for, I think it was six or seven months before finally it was clear she just wasn't going to be able to progress and it right. wasn't working. And she went back on leave. And so we have this mediation coming up and the insurance company is taking the position that, well, okay, she can't go back to her previous job. And they acknowledge that and clearly she can't, there's no real debate about that, but they're saying that, well, okay, but she doesn't have anything that would prevent her from doing a sedentary job. And they have a doctor that reviewed the file and agreed that there weren't any restrictions or limitations that would prevent her from being able to sit down and do a desk job. And so that's a position that they're taking. But it's kind of a silly position to be taking, given the circumstances and what we actually know. You know I, I think doctors' opinions are almost always what we wind up relying on. And we put a lot of stock in them, particularly going to the future, because we don't have better information most of the time. But we don't need a doctor to look into a crystal ball when this particular client has tried. She has done it. She has gone back to work and tried and is not able to do it. There is no stronger evidence than that. She has done everything that she could. She pushed to go back to work. She tried doing what was a much simpler job. It was a completely sedentary job that she was doing when she tried to return and was not able to do even 12 hours a week. There is no argument that she's able to do it. There's no evidence that she's improved since then. So the notion that she can do a sedentary job. I mean, technically, yes, it's true. She could do a sedentary job 
for perhaps a few hours a week, but it's not predictable when she would be able to do it. And in order to do it, it would cause her to essentially put everything else in her life completely on hold. She would have to be doing that and only that, which is in fact what the situation was when she had gone back to work. She was living to work. That's it. She would work. She would nap before her shift. She would do the four hour shift. She would rest the rest of the day and most of the day after before going back to work the following day. So it wasn't a situation that was ever going to be sustainable. And the law is very clear. If you have if you are technically able to go back to work and you put in the hours and go through the motions, but it is at the expense of everything else in your life, you're not obligated to do that. That's not what's required by someone making a claim for disability insurance. There is a duty to mitigate. That is something that insurers will often point to. And it is correct. You are required to mitigate your losses, but that only goes so far. You're not required to do that at the expense of everything else in your life. It's not a situation where if you are going to work, but you can't tend to your housekeeping activities or you can't do anything for enjoyment because you simply have no energy left over at the end of the day that a court would ever say, oh, well, you could still put those hours in at work. That would never be a decision you would find from a judge. It would never happen and the insurers well know that. So getting back to the topic at hand, returning to work, it is always something that I encourage people to try to do if they believe there's any chance that it can be successful. If someone comes to me and says, you know, James, I'd like to try and go back to work. I'm worried about what the insurance company is going to do if I try. Well, I wouldn't worry so much about what the insurance company is going to do because you can bet they're always going to act in their best interest and sooner or later, they're going to deny or cut off benefits. What you should always be concentrating on is what's going to be best for you in the long run. And if you're at a point where medically your doctors are supporting an attempt to return to work, and you are optimistic that there is a decent chance that you might be able to do it, as my client was in this particular circumstance, then you should give it a try. Absolutely, you should give it a try. If it works out, you're obviously in a great situation now because now you are back at work, you're in your income, that's wonderful. If it doesn't work out, even if your insurer is being obstinate and refusing to recognize what is clear, it means you have a very strong claim and that we can bring a legal claim and we can sue them and make sure that you get the money that you're entitled to because the evidence will be incredibly strong if you've made every effort to try and return to work and there is direct evidence that you've tried and you are not able to do it. When you have that type of evidence, it is extremely compelling and the insurers know it. So it is not something you should be afraid of. If you feel like you can return to work and your doctors are supporting you, you should give it a shot absolutely 100%. And with that, we'll slide into a quick break and get your emails uh, right away. Always send them along, regardless of whether it's this hour of the show or outside the hour. It is help at disabilityrights.ca. And to call into the station now or text us and ask your questions, 416 872 1010 and the text number is 71010 as well we read those as we get them and the emails is where we're going to start when we come back failing any phone calls so tuck in uh, strap in give us a call if you'd like and we'll continue with more of the disability law show stand by 
And welcome back. It is one twenty Saturday afternoon. James Fireman is here, courtesy of Sanfiru Tamarkin LLP. He's got all the answers you need. You can always reach out when the show's not on, right? one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. But here and now, you got uh, you know, a good 40 minutes to, uh, to give us a call, get some answers. Could be for yourself, family member, colleague, whatever, who's wondering, dealing with an insurance company and uh, having that hassle. It is 416-872-1010 to call us or 71010. To uh, to text us your questions today, other than that, we'll get to some emails. But I uh, got Nathan on the line. Nathan, thanks for standing by for a couple of minutes, pal. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Beauty. What's on your mind? Um, so I was uh, I was off work due to mental health, uh, some issues at work. Came back. I did a return to work over two months. Um, even and then I went full time. Even though the doctor was like, "Look, you need. I still need to see a, a psychotherapist and kind of get through my struggles." But the disability kind of said, hey, listen, once you're over four days a week, we don't consider you disabled. Regardless, after two months returning to work, um, I received the, I was told by the company they were letting me go, and I just wanted to see if I have a case or not. So you're asking, Nathan, uh, whether you have a case against your employer or against your insurer? Um, both. I'm, I'm thinking employer, but I'm not sure. So. So I'm going to tread lightly on the employer part of this, if only because my specialty is disability law, not employment law. But that is not to say that we, and by we, I mean Sefir Tamarkin can't help because, of course, we have some of the best employment lawyers in the country working at our firm. Uh, and we we have the show. It's on tomorrow. Schools, what time is it on tomorrow? Uh, we do uh, one o'clock in the afternoon. There you go. So one o'clock in the afternoon is a better time to call in terms of the employment part of it. And certainly uh, you can call and get a consultation for the employment issues. And it does sound like there certainly would be some there, given your ongoing disability and the fact that you um, obviously were not at a a point where you had uh, reached your reached full health and were able to fully commit to being back. In terms of your insurer, that is a different issue. And it may well be that you are still entitled to benefits. You had mentioned, Nathan, that you were back for two months. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. And how long ago was it that you were terminated? Um, I was just terminated last week after I returned to work full time. Um, Understood. Okay. So, the vast majority of disability policies, this was a group policy, I assume, correct? Correct. The vast majority of group disability policies will have what's called a recurrence clause built into the policy. And so what that recurrence clause does is it allows you to continue to claim benefits if you attempt to return to work, but you're not able to continue because your disability prevents you from being able to continue full time. Now, what we've talked about so far suggests that you were able to get up to 80% and then more or less full time, but your doctor still had some concerns. You still hadn't gotten the psychotherapy that you needed, and then you get terminated from your employment. I don't know what the termination from your employment has done, but given that your disability in the first place was because of mental health issues, I would venture to guess that it hasn't helped your situation. I don't know if being terminated from your employment has caused a setback in terms of your mental health condition or not. And if it has, I don't know whether that's something that's sufficient to prevent you from being able 
to work in your occupation. Not obviously for your employer because they let you go, but whether you would still be able to work in your occupation, I don't know the answer to that. You may not either. The point, though, is this. If within, in most cases, it's six months, but you want to check the language of your policy, if within the time period set in your policy, you are not able to continue working because of the same disability, your insurer is required to then continue to pay you benefits. And you'll recall, Nathan, I'm sure that when you first went off, there was a period of time where you weren't paid any. Or if you were, it would have been short-term disability. That's usually called the qualifying period or the elimination period. Sometimes it's three months, four months, could be six months. If you make use of the recurrence period, the recurrence clause, and you are back on claim after less than six months, you don't have to go through that uh, elimination or qualifying period again. It's a continuation of the existing claim. So those are two different things that are going on. There's a potential employment claim, which I'm not going to deal with in any more detail than I've already discussed, and there's the potential disability claim. You want to make sure, though, that you're dealing with both of them at the same time. And what I mean by that is if you focus on one versus the other, particularly if you focus on the employment part of it first, the danger there is if you do have a disability claim, whatever you get in terms of any severance, if your employer improperly terminated you, or perhaps if they've given you severance anyway, that could be an offset, in most cases will be an offset against any money your insurer would owe you for this recurrent claim. And so it would wind up being that this severance pay that you might get from your employer is really ultimately just to the benefit of your insurance company. It's money that they would otherwise have had to pay you, but now they don't because you've gotten the severance. So you want to make sure that you're dealing with both simultaneously. And the good news is we can do that for you. We have some lawyers at our firm that are quite competent to deal with both sides of it. I don't like to give out employment advice because it's just on your expertise for me. But certainly uh, we can set you up with someone at our firm that will be able to talk to both sides of that and be able to give you some advice. So we're going to take down your information uh, and I will coordinate a consultation for you next week and we'll be able to make sure that you get the advice that you need on both sides of that. Okay, Nathan? I think we've lost it. But yeah. in any case, that's where we're going to go with that. And if anyone else is out there listening and is in a similar situation, certainly that is something that our firm deals with all the time. People who have ongoing employment and disability issues, mm -hmm. which happens quite frequently. And you need to have you need to have a lawyer who's able to deal with both, who is able to address address both legal issues in a way that isn't going to focus on one or the other, but it's going to make sure that your overall situation is maximized. And that's ultimately what you want. You probably don't care whether the compensation you're entitled to is coming from one place or the other. You care that you're getting the most that you should be getting. Nathan, appreciate the phone call, pal. Here's that number that James mentioned to reach out for a uh, chat anyway, if not a consultation moving forward. one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca, which is where we're going to go right now. First email comes from him says, guys, been on long-term disability LTD for depression for over three years now. Uh, if and when I'm ready to go to work, do I have to go back to my old workplace or can I start a new job, new company? I work for a bank and nah, I don't want to go back there to work. Fair enough. Um, and <laughs> this is not something that's unusual. So typically speaking, the insurance company doesn't care where you go back to work. Now, having said that, 
the insurance company will almost always have some sort of relationship with the employer, assuming this is a group policy. And because of that, it can be easier to accommodate a return to work, especially if that's going to be helpful for you returning with your present employer. If you're looking to go with a new employer, they may not have any relationship with that employer at all. So it may well be the case that if you're looking to go back to work for a new employer, you are to some extent on your own and looking for that. But that's okay. That doesn't mean that it can't be done or shouldn't be done. Not at all. It's only that you need to be aware that that is perhaps a limitation and something that might be available to you where you're trying to go back to your old employer. But by no means are you limited to going back to your old employer, whether it's three years or one year, you're entitled to choose who you are going to be employed with. You do need to make sure that you keep your insurance company in the loop because, again, as we just talked about with Nathan, if you are going to make use of a recurrent clause, you have to make sure that your insurer understands exactly what's happening and they approve of what steps you are taking so that if you have to go back on claim, they're going to be aware and you're in the best position to return. William, appreciate the uh, the email and uh, this afternoon taking the time. You want to follow up with a phone call, one 821 5900 That is no sweat. Let's get into a short break here at the bottom of the hour, returning with lots more and give you time to uh, grab a phone and dial the number as well. You want to get on air, talk to us here and get some answers right away. 416-872-1010 or text us your questions. We can read those, 71010 as well. And we'll continue with lots more of the Disability Law Show. Hang in there. All right, we are back. It is one thirty-five. Good afternoon. We'd love to hear from you. You got some time? Give us a call. You're dealing with that disability insurer. Maybe you've been asked to uh, appeal six thousand times. You're getting tired of it. Maybe they're uh, you're dealing with a bad adjuster. There could be a million things, right? When you're dealing with that uh, disability insurer, and none of it is uh, terribly friendly. But that's why there's answers here right now. Four one six eight seven two ten ten to call in now to the station. You want to text your questions if you're a little gun shy to get on the phone? No problem. That is seven ten ten. Beyond that, you can always reach out to James Fireman. He is ready. Great team with him as well. He's uh, hired himself some great staff. Help at disabilityrights.ca and 1-855-821-5900. That's the number you want to use when we're off air here. Uh, okay, rolling down the emails. Uh, Shelly, up next is guys work for a city, union member. I had a heart attack last year due to stress. I was pressured into returning to work in January, which I tried, but found my physical and mental health quickly deteriorating. I was still under the care of my doctor, and she agreed I was unable to return to work. The insurance company denied my LTD from February. Uh, Through my union lawyer, I was told to appeal their decision. Is this the proper way to proceed? I've been told twice that the city's benefits society has asked the insurance company to review my file and have been told by the union lawyer I have to wait for their response before an appeal can be filed. Yikes. So Shelley's question raises a lot of interesting issues. There's a lot of meat on the bone here. And I want to take my time going through this. So the first thing I bump on here is the idea that Shelley was pressured into returning to work. And that's something that fits in well with what we're talking about on the show, what we started off with in the first half anyway, focusing on returning to work. And what I had said in the earlier segments, and this is something that everyone should understand, the decision to go back to work or not is not an insurance decision. It's not a legal decision. It's a medical decision. It is a decision about whether you are medically fit to return to work because doing so in many circumstances, if you are disabled, 
is not only going to be something that is difficult or perhaps not even possible, but it may also be something that is detrimental, something that is actually going to cause harm, to make your disability worse, to make it much less likely that you will ever actually fully recover. And that's obviously an enormous issue and something that you need to protect from. And so when people ask, well, should I return to work? I'm getting pressure to do this. I feel like I have to. No one's going to come to your house and put a gun to your head and say you have to return to work. I recognize, of course, that there are financial realities that people have to live with. And so that is part of the context that people have to consider when making those decisions. But if you are able to make the decision independent of the financial consequences, then you should. You should be listening first and foremost to your doctors. And if your doctors are telling you it's too soon, you're not ready, this is going to set you back or cause harm, then you should avoid going back to work for as long as you possibly can. Recognizing, of course, that it's not always going to be 100% possible to do that. If you are in a financial situation that means that you have to do it, then so be it. But understand that the results may not be what you hope for, in fact, may set you back. So that is the first thing that I want to make absolutely clear. If you are feeling pressure to go back to work, but your doctors are not supporting a return and are saying that you shouldn't do it, avoid doing it as long as you can. Now, the next part of this is about the whole issue of whether or not Shelley should be appealing on the advice of the lawyer for her union. And if you've listened to the show in the past, you are probably waiting for James to launch into his appeal diatribe, and I'd love to do that. <laughs> but I, before I do it, I have to throw out a caveat here because Shelley works for a union, and unions work by different rules. Now, if you're wondering whether or not if you're in a union that you can call me and hire me to represent you, in the vast majority of cases, the answer is yes. There are circumstances where we can't, but we can figure that out very quickly, and that shouldn't be a deterrent for you to call in. In fact, calling in could be the the first thing that we do can be looking at your collective bargaining agreement from your union and just making sure that it is something that we can help you out with, and if not, it won't cost you anything. But if you are working for a union, there are certain unions where the process for long-term disability actually requires you to go through an appeal process. In some cases, then you would have to go through a grievance or arbitration. You wouldn't be able to hire a lawyer. In some cases, you would have to go through appeal. And if you weren't successful, then you could hire a lawyer. And in other cases in a union, you don't have to appeal. It's only something that's an option for you. And if that's the case, if you don't have to appeal, or if you're not in a union, you certainly don't have to appeal then this is where you get my diatribe about the appeal process. Because the appeal process in the vast majority of cases is just a waste of time. You have to think about the circumstances. Your insurance company is in business to make profits for their shareholders. That's not a secret. They are trying to make money. And obviously, they are going to make more money if they pay out fewer benefits. And that is what they are trying to do. They are looking for a rationale to cut off or deny claims whenever they can. And that means in many cases, the rationale isn't an especially good one because they don't need it to be. For their purposes, they're just looking for anything they can superficially rely on to get them through the door to a denial or cutting off of benefits. 
they know in the vast majority of cases, people aren't going to challenge them. They are going to see this multi-billion dollar entity on the other side that deals with disability claims, and most people are just going to give up. They're going to think it's not worth the fight. There's nothing that they can do about it. That's 100% wrong. There is something you can do about it, and it's very simple. You start a legal claim. You give us a call. We start a legal claim. And what that means is the insurance company is no longer able to dictate the process. And that's why I tell people not to appeal. The appeal is a process that has been created out of thin air by insurance companies in order to discourage people from bringing a lawsuit. And the reason they do that is because as soon as you bring a lawsuit, the insurance company no longer controls that process. They know once you've brought a lawsuit that if they are not reasonable, if the insurance company is not reasonable, does not recognize what is obvious from the medical records, then at the end of the day, they would have to go in front of a judge. And because they know that that is the ultimate outcome, if they're unreasonable, guess what happens? As mm -hmm. soon as you bring the legal claim, they're all of a sudden incredibly reasonable. And it is shocking how few long-term disability cases ever actually wind up in trial. It is shocking how many insurance companies, as soon as they are served with a statement of claim, starting the legal process, all of a sudden become incredibly reasonable and say, okay, let's come to the table and let's talk about what you're entitled to. And this happens almost every single time. It's shocking how often it happens. So yeah, if you don't have to appeal, if it is not a requirement of your collectively bargained agreement through your union, then appealing a denial is a waste of time. You're just asking the insurance company pretty please with sugar on top, would you reconsider? And guess what? They have absolutely no incentive to actually do it. All they want to do is run out the clock. And if they get you to avoid calling a lawyer for two years, if you don't do it within two years, you're not going to have the option to do it anymore. Yeah. It's two years from the date that they deny or cut off your benefits that you have. If it takes longer than that, don't bring a claim within that two-year period. The court won't listen to you. They don't have to. That's what happens. It's called the Limitation Act. You've got two years from that date, and they just want to run out the clock on you. So please, if you are in a situation where your benefits have been cut off or denied, don't go through the appeal process. Don't waste your time. Give us a call. It's a free consultation, and we'll let you know whether or not you have a claim that you can pursue. Shelly, appreciate the email. Phone call now to follow up, which is probably going to happen, right? 1-855-821-5900. And that email address, as we get to a short break here, is help at disabilityrights.ca. You still have plenty of opportunity to call us here on air or text us here on air and ask your questions, 416-872-1010 or text 71010 as well. We'll continue with more of the Disability Law Show in a moment. Hang on. That is correct. It is 1.50, still some minutes to go. You can grab a phone anytime uh, between now and the time we wrap up. 416-872-1010 to ask any questions or text 71010 as well. If you want to do it a little more quietly on the outside of the hour, you can do so. Email is help at disabilityrights.ca. Uh, to call James and his team, very capable, ready to answer your questions anytime. 1-855-821-5900. And uh, I'll give you another resource as well. It's free, anonymous. It's got a searchable database. That's the way the algorithm was written to type your questions into mydisabilityquestions.com. But I want to get to uh, Courtney. Courtney's up, says, hi, guys. 
I'm a nurse applying for long-term disability. I have vestibular dysfunctional uh, dysfunction causing frequent falls, chronic severe migraines, and recently diagnosed with fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue. I've done three rounds of physio. I see a chiropractor, osteopath regularly. I've developed anxiety and depression as I haven't had any improvement for one year. I see a psychotherapist in hopes to learn coping strategies. I've seen a neurologist, rheumatologist, ENT, and my PCP as well. I fear many of my symptoms are subjective, although I've had an MRI, CT, x-rays, all have been negative. Do I have any chance of being approved? What can I do to improve my chances? This is all due to a virus I had back in July of 2022, developed vestibular neuritis, and the rest uh, if symptoms compounded. Oh, vestibular stuff is the worst. It's inner ear. It's so bad. So, Courtney, this is a really interesting question, and it's something that we see more and more with people who have caught COVID. Now, I, I gather if that were the case, um, if any of this had come from a COVID infection, you would have mentioned that, and that's perfectly fine. But the point is, you know, Courtney mentions that a lot of her symptoms are subjective. Not all of them, but a lot of these are subjective symptoms. And so that is obviously a concern that people have. Their symptoms are not something that you can show on an X-ray or on a blood test. How do you prove that? Well, first and foremost, you need to understand that a disability insurance policy is absolutely required to pay benefits, even if your condition is entirely subjective. Now, that doesn't mean that you can simply say, I'm disabled, pay me money, and expect that anything will happen. Of course not. But I have to tell you, Courtney, from what I understand from your email, it sounds like you are already doing all of the things that you should be, which is making sure that your symptoms are well documented by going to your doctor and ensuring that your doctor, first and foremost, your family physician is aware of that. And your family physician is sort of like the quarterback of your medical care. And they are the ones who are going to refer you to the various specialists to see if they can get to the bottom of what's going on. And that can be a long and difficult process, and it can be very frustrating because I see this all the time. People are getting referred out to different specialists, to different doctors who will go through a battery of tests, whether it is medical imaging or blood work or physical examination, and are frustrated that it comes back normal that all the test says, well, it's not something due to the neurological symptoms or, or something due to the cardiovascular system or what have you, and they are still searching for answers. But that is evidence. It is not likely that a doctor is going to spend that kind of time and the government's resources trying to figure out, figure out what's wrong if the doctor doesn't genuinely believe that there is something wrong. And the fact that your family doctor is referring you to specialists for treatment and assessment suggests that there is something underlying that. And so the fact that you've been going through this is very compelling evidence. And in any case, medically speaking, it's what you should be doing because obviously you want to find a solution. You want to find answers to the questions. What's going on? What is causing these issues? And how can I best treat it? So those are the things that I would tell you to do but you're already doing it. Now, does that mean that your insurance company is going to approve your benefits? No, it does not. And the concern that Courtney raises in her email is a valid one because we do see insurance companies 
be far more skeptical of claims that are not objectively based. And to a certain extent, I can sympathize with that. Because where it's objective, there isn't really anything they can say. But where it's not, they do need to see something more. They do need to have some way to validate that. And to a certain extent, that's fair. But what I see far too often is insurance companies taking that far beyond what's reasonable. It is perfectly reasonable for them to ask questions, for them to say, okay, well, what are you doing to treat this? What are you doing to try and understand your condition and find a way out of that? But where those questions are clearly being answered, where you have someone like Corp, who is doing everything possible to try and find what the underlying issue is, to try and find a treatment option, and where the symptoms are not improving, and in fact, as Courtney has mentioned in her case, they're getting worse. She's developing mental health issues on top of the physical issues that she's having as well. When you have a situation like that, it's pretty clear that the person is disabled and they need the disability insurance in order to prevent a financial crisis and to allow them to step back from work and focus on their health. That's what the insurance is there for. People have disability insurance so that they have peace of mind for exactly this kind of situation. This is precisely why people have disability insurance. And the fact that there isn't an objective uh, test that is showing the underlying condition is irrelevant. It does not matter. And this is not something that I'm saying just to try and make an argument. This is something that the Supreme Court of Canada, who I would venture to say is a pretty good authority on this subject, has said very clearly is the case. You don't require objective medical evidence in order to have a claim for disability benefits. That is very clear, and it is a it is something that the courts have recognized time and time again since. And in fact, when you have insurance companies that explicitly deny a claim because there isn't objective evidence, not only is that improper, but it means that the insurance company is in most cases going to be exposed for having to pay damages. Damages is when the insurance company has acted unfairly to the point where not only do they have to pay the benefits that you should have gotten in the first place, but a court says your process was bad faith. It was unfair, it was bad faith, and you have to pay punitive damages over and above what you would have just had to pay because of the way that you adjudicated the claim. And so that's something insurance companies are not entitled to. They can't say no objective evidence, therefore no benefits for you. If you are someone in Courtney's situation where you are doing everything that you can, where you are where you're following all of the treatment recommendations and your symptoms aren't getting better and you are clearly not functionally capable of going to work, then you're entitled to benefits. And if your insurer is denying it on some basis that there isn't an X-ray or other objective evidence, they're in big trouble. And as soon as you start a legal claim, they're going to come to the table very quickly because they don't want that going anywhere close to a court where a judge would look at that and award punitive damages. 
And with that, we are wrapping it up. James is going to have a throat lozenge and a cup of coffee now for sure. Did a lot of talking. And we'll do more on the other side when you reach out to it for sure. Here's that number, 1-855-821-5900. Reach out by phone, help at disabilityrights.ca through the email. And you can also use mydisabilityquestions.com to ask any other questions as well. Thank you for joining us. If a phone call or email is yours, appreciate that. And we'll catch you next time next weekend right here on the Disability Law Show.